listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Amen, amen, amen. That was awesome. And I don't know, that last with, with um, Max giving us that last drumbeat, I thought the roof was going to come off. That was awesome. And uh, praise the Lord for that. Thankful for you being here today. And uh, those of you that are guests with us, we are delighted that you would spend a Sunday uh, worshiping uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you wouldn't mind, take a moment, grab the pen maybe in front of you or uh, maybe in the purse or whatever you got, and uh, fill out your connection card and put that in uh, the offering plate later on when it goes by. We uh, do not ever invite any, anybody or ever expect uh, our guests to give in any way. We're just thankful that that you're here and let this service be a gift to you. Uh, but please just put that in there so we would have a record of your, uh, your attendance here. And uh, also, I think we, uh, Mike alluded to it, but on the, uh, the 15th, right? Is that the wedding day, Jessica? Is that the, is that the wedding day, the 15th? February 15th. It's a Friday night, and uh, we'll make sure that we put that in the bulletin uh, next, uh, next week. But I hope that you'll... Uh, plan to come to that if I think the RSVP date is already gone, and, but I think you still you can absolutely still come to the wedding, and I uh, hope that you will uh, plan to be a part of that. Uh, there's going to be a great uh, meal afterwards. I think it's tacos, so if you want to come, then uh, they'd be happy to. I'm just <laughs> they're getting really nervous back there. All of you guys now come for tacos, really really super nervous. But no, seriously, come to the wedding. Uh, what times it start, Mike? Three o'clock sharp. Now, that normally means it's more like 3.45. No, I'm just I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I remember conducting a wedding. It was about, I don't know, maybe seven, seven, eight years ago. I think we started like an hour and a half late. And uh, that's just because you needed to have the father of the bride there for, uh, for the wedding to be conducted. So, uh, but we're, we're excited about this union uh, between these two and uh, just uh, how they're going to be able to worship the Lord as a team. Uh, together in, in in the days ahead. I so, so enjoyed uh, starting our, our new series uh, last week entitled Jesus. And uh, I had been uh, just, my heart has been ready all week long. Uh, I, of course, had to prepare the message, but just ready to get up here and uh, to preach again. And not only did I want to double down, I want to triple down on last week. Remember last week I told you that John the Baptist was a vegan. Remember you guys heard that? Some of y'all were looking at me. That wasn't even in my notes. I have, you know, locusts, that, you know, it's got a mom and dad, right? Honey, you know. And it's like, what I was trying to get across is the weirdness of his diet. I have no clue why I said that. Actually, a couple commentaries had actually had mentioned it. I think it was in my mind. But um, thank you for allowing me to make mistakes. And uh, my prayer is that uh, this morning uh, the Lord will... Uh, use the message and uh, use his word for his honor and his glory. And don't worry, I won't say John the Baptist was a vegan. He just had a strange diet. How about that? Here we go. Verse number 12. Mark chapter number 1. Verse number 12. The Bible says in Mark 1 verse 12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. 
This morning I have a unique title for the message, but I believe you will see throughout the course of the message that uh, it will be one that connects uh, with our text. And uh, that is substitutionary temptation. Substitutionary temptation. Let's ask God to bless this time one more time. Father, we come before you and Lord, I thank you for how you've used the word in my life this week and how you have just strengthened what I've already known and believed and you've brought some clarity and some color to it in my life. And Lord, I ask that as I am simply just desiring to be a vessel that you can use, that God, I would do so for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we've already sung all about you and for you. Lord, I pray the next several minutes would also be for your honor and for your glory. I pray we'd glean from your word what you have for us. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Perhaps for you and I this morning, it is humbling to admit, and maybe even embarrassing at points, but all of us still carry around us a susceptibility to temptation. You are susceptible this week. You're susceptible to different types of temptations in your life than maybe would be in my life and my family. But we are all prone to temptation in some location, some form of circumstance, or some form of relationship. And because of that, uh, this passage that we're going to look at, although it is very, very brief in its nature, it brings a particular comfort to me, and my prayer is that you also will find a great comfort in this text. I want to read it again for you, and it'll be up on the screen. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. The book of Mark is, is very careful to respond, uh, that, uh, to record that, that, that Christ faced and defeated Satan in a couple different areas, but, but at least three. The first one was this case right here where uh, many of you are aware that there were three specific least ones that were um, uh, articulated in, in the other Gospels, and he uh, defeated Satan in that. Certainly it would have been in his public ministry. He would have fought and defeated Satan. And then also while he was uh, on the cross, he would have been tempted to uh, you know, to, 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 to diverge from what God had called him. And in each of those, he was triumphant for you and for me. And Mark reminds us that everything that Christ did in his life was done for us. From day one, it was all about substitution. It was all about Christ in our place. Christ facing what we could not face. Christ Uh, gaining victory in areas and places that you and I could not gain victory, nor would we win. And so I want you to to look at these words very, very carefully. Verse 12 again. And immediately, immediately the Spirit driveth Him into the wilderness. Christ was not in the wilderness because of some kind of preemptive attack by Satan. He was not there because he was allured by the evil one. Mark is very careful to remind us that it was the Spirit of God that led Christ into the wilderness 
to be tempted. Let me just say really carefully, uh, right off the bat, you and I, we, we, we ought to be very cautious in our lives to always think, oh, this is always Satan doing this. No, sometimes God will drive you to a place just like He drove Satan or drove Christ to be tempted here in the wilderness. Now, here's what that means. This was part of the redemptive script. This was part of God's plan. This was a necessary step in what Christ came to do. This is not a diversion. This is not some interruption in His life. This is not some dangerous moment that we're wondering what the outcome might be. This is God doing exactly what He meant to do to lead Christ to face the enemy on our behalf. Now before we can look keenly in on this, I want to I give you the whole story. I want to give you the kind of the, the, the grand scheme of things. The first Adam was our representative. Later in the New Testament, the Bible calls Jesus the, the, the second Adam. But the first Adam, Adam and Eve, the very first human beings to walk on this earth, they were our representatives as well. Adam stood where we would also stand. And the first Adam faced evil and the tempter and his lies, and he, he believed those lies, and he stepped outside of God's boundaries, and he disobeyed God's rules. So let's look at that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye should not eat of every tree of the garden. See, earlier in chapter 2, God had told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree here in the garden, but the one that's in the midst... The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of it. And so Satan is coming and he is, he, he's tempting them, verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. So Adam, as well as Eve, obviously, Eve was the one that was tempted and she gave to Adam who was with her there and he also ate. They opted for autonomy and self-sufficiency. The first Adam opted for the possibility that maybe he could live independently of God. Maybe he believed that he could find life, find wisdom outside of God. And Paul tells us in the New Testament in Romans 5, and it says, Wherefore is by one man, that being Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Remember God said, hey, you eat of that tree, thou shalt surely die. There was a spiritual, and then someday they were physical, they were going to physically die. And so, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have 
sin. That's the, that's the first Adam. He was tempted and, 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 and he gave in. He was tempted with self-sufficiency and autonomy to, to live apart from God. And that's what, that's what Satan was tempting them with and they failed. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I love that, 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 that connection there that, that the Apostle Paul makes. He's referencing the first Adam and then also the second Adam. So with the horrible choice of Adam, sin entered into the world. And all of us are born in sin. All of us have the susceptibility to temptation. All of us, hear me, all of us desire autonomy. All of us desire self-sufficiency. All of us want, hear what I'm about to say, as radical as it is, we want the position of God in our lives. All of us are tempted with that. In moments of our lives, we are all like Adam. So it was necessary that God would send Jesus as the second Adam. And so Jesus now faces the same temptation. And He's doing that for you. And He's doing that for me. I entitled the sermon this, this Substitutionary Temptation because that's exactly what it is. This is Jesus as our substitute. And it's very important that before Jesus Christ would begin His earthly ministry, those last three and a half years or so of His life, that He was going to have to, to face and defeat Satan. The Bible says in Matthew 19, or else... How can one enter in to a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? In other words, he, uh, Jesus, He went and He defeated Satan. So that way, He could go through His earthly ministry and continue to do so and ultimately uh, on the cross do so. But he, he, binds the, he binds the strong man. And so, so Christ faced the enemy. And He demonstrated His power. Hear what I'm about to say. And He does that for us so that we would, in His sacrifice, have the same power to say no to temptation. There's a lot of things in, in the... And I absolutely love the, 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 the... Don't get me wrong, the grace movement, the proper way of that, but there's a lot of it that goes on with that that we're just going to sin. Why? Because when we sin... Grace does much more abound. Hallelujah for that, right? Right? And so people are like, hey, let's just sin because the more we sin, the more grace. And that is 100% accurate according to the Word of God. But Paul continues on and he says, but should we sin, should we remain in sin that grace may abound? And what does Paul say through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? God forbid. And so Jesus Christ, He went through what He went through. He, he went through this temptation. He came out victorious. And so that way in Him, you and I now have the power to say no. Not because we have that power in and of ourselves, but because we find that power in Christ. He comes not only to forgive us. Praise God for forgiveness. Praise God for His blood. Praise God for the future home in heaven we have. But Jesus Christ also came to empower us by His grace so that by that grace we can say no. And so that grace is the operating, uh, operating in us on behalf of us. This is not an interruption of the plan. 
This wilderness being sent in the wilderness, this is the plan. The Spirit sends Christ out into the wilderness. Let's see it again here in our text. Spirit driveth Him into the wilderness. And He was there in the wilderness for 40 days. The words used here are very precise. I personally believe the obvious allusion that Mark is making is to Israel and Israel's time in the wilderness. I want you to think about God's people in the wilderness. It is pretty shocking because they experience this marvelous redemption. I mean, God brings them out of Egypt with beautiful sign gifts. And then they march towards the Red Sea. And now Pharaoh is coming bearing down on them. And what does he do? He parts the Red Sea and they walk over on dry ground. As soon as Pharaoh and his enemies come after them, then the Red Sea closes right back on them. I mean, how glorious is that? How awesome is that? You could almost imagine that the people of Israel would be like, man, this is our God. This is the one that that I'm going to serve. There's nothing in this world that can compare to this God. I'm never turning my back on Him. Ah, but it doesn't take very long. And it's actually pretty shocking what happened. God brings Moses up to Mount Sinai and he's being given the Ten Commandments. And look what it says. Follow this text on the screen in Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. He would have been the next one in charge there. And said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out up out of the land of Egypt we want not we don't know what is become of him so what is the issue that leads to this scandalous outrageous idolatry schedule schedule moses is gone a little bit longer than they thought that he was going to be gone they're saying, we don't, we, don't, we, don't know what, we don't know what happened to him. And so the obvious next step is, all right, let's make other gods, right? He's, he's delayed for a little bit. Uh, you know, hey, let's, let's, make, let's make some other gods. That is how powerful our temptation to idolatry is. How long? I don't know. But he's delayed. Maybe he said, hey, I'm, I'm coming at this hour. Hey, honey, I'll be home for dinner at 5.30. And it's now 5.45. Well, he's not coming home. Let's eat all of his food. What? Delayed a little bit. This is what our hearts does. Our hearts, listen to me, our hearts run after God replacement. Our hearts run after things that, that we would rather esteem, things that we can see, things that, things that we can touch. Moses is gone now. Their leader is gone. And so instantly they're like, let's make gods. This morning, I'm not, I don't want to let you off the hook yet. Own it. That's our hearts. That's our hearts. 
Do you know what the New Testament says? It says in 1 Corinthians 10, now all these things, and if you, if you read this chapter, it's talking about what we, like the deliverance of, uh, of the children of Israel and then their making of gods. Now all of these things happen unto them for in samples or examples. That they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Church, listen to me. This is in us. This ability to chase after other gods. And sometimes those gods, hear me, are good things. But good things can never become a God thing. It can never replace God. It can never replace Him on the throne of our hearts and in our lives. Moses is gone for a little while here, and they're like, hey, make us gods. Now I want you to think of Aaron here for a moment. I mean, Aaron's kind of the one now that's the leader. I mean, these men, these people, they come to him and they say, hey, <laughs> Moses isn't here. Moses isn't here. Can you make us gods? Aaron should be like, absolutely not. God's the one that brought us out of Egypt. We couldn't turn the water uh, into the blood. We couldn't have killed the, the firstborn. We couldn't have done all of the things that, that, that happened in Egypt. There's no way we could have parted the Red Sea. I mean, we were terrified at the edge of the Red Sea. No way. Eh, that's not what Aaron said. Let's look at it. Verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and all your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off all the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it into a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They had just said to Aaron, before all of these things were brought to him, hey, Moses is the one that God used to bring us up out of the land of Egypt. No, no, no. Now it's going to be this molten calf. Now it's going to be this idol that we can see. That's what brought us up. I mean, how outrageous is that? Yet we do the same. We attribute our idols with what can only be done by God. When Moses comes down, the, the conversation is amazing. You would think at that point that as he approaches Aaron, that Aaron would be very humble in his nature. That he would be like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. It's my fault. But that's not what he says. He's like, this amazing thing happened. He's like, this molten calf came out all on its own. This is in all of us. How quickly we excuse our rebellion. How quickly we recast our idolatry and we call it something else. Well, this is just my hobby. This is just my downtime. This is just, this is just what my talents are. Listen, if those hobbies and that, we gotta, we, we, we've got to be really, really careful. If they're pulling us from the Lord, let's not rename it. We okay this morning? Like I said, I get to go for an hour and a half, right? He gave me total liberty. This is why we so desperately need Jesus. This is why we need Him to stand in our place. Jesus to win the victory for us because this is my heart. I am very much like Aaron in those other groups. It's like, no, 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 this is what saved me. This is what was good for me. It is remarkable that the very place of Israel's rebellion 
is also the place of Christ's defeat of Satan. It's the same place. The wilderness that was the place of complaining, of idolatry and of rebellion, challenging of God again and again and again becomes the place where the Son of God goes. Representing you. Representing me. And stands before the enemy and He wins. He takes the strong man. He gives us the victory. Listen, your hope this morning, it's not in your knowledge. It's not in your strength. It's not in your wisdom. It's not in your long walk with God over the years. It's not in our knowledge in and of itself of the Scriptures. Your hope is in the second Adam. Your hope is in Jesus who has won the victory for you and empowers you to live in victory now. And so Mark tells us that he was brought into the wilderness. Let's see again in in our text. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. Now, Mark is a very interesting way of characterizing these events. Mark, as I said last week, is a very efficient gospel. It is like short, succinct, right to the point. And have you, we have this whole temptation of Christ covered in just a few words. Two short verses, but it's interesting Mark's take on what was going on. Most likely, when you and I think of the temptation of Christ, many times we think of the three different instances that the other Gospels describe. Whether it was Satan saying, hey, I want, you to, uh, I want you to turn these stones into bread. Or he brings them up above the pinnacle and said, hey, just drop off. And you know the angels of God, they'll come and they'll save you. And what was happening was, is that Mark tends to go in a different direction than the other disciples, the other Gospels, Matthew, uh, Luke, and John. Rather than emph- emphasizing the attack of Satan on the Messiahship of Christ, If you're really God, you'll do this. Mark tends to emphasize the attack of Satan on the humanity of Christ. Christ is driven out into the wilderness alone. He faces the direct attack of Satan there. He faces the danger of wild animals while he's there. So here's here's the picture. The Creator, Christ, for 40 days, is standing in our place. He is receiving the full force of what it means to live in a fallen world. Oftentimes we're thinking of, hey, he was tempted here, and Satan went away for a while, and he was tempted here. No, no, no. For 40 days, he was being tempted. He was enduring a, the humanity portion of Christ. 100% God, absolutely. But the humanity in our place living in this fallen world. This is what it means when it says Christ, like in Hebrews 4, that He is our high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be under the pressure of this world. For 40 days, He was being tempted of what it's like to live in a fallen world. The difficulties. Jesus understands the harsh realities of life. He understands the aloneness. He understands the alienation. I mean, literally, the Spirit drove Him out there 
He is all alone. He understands the direct temptations of the enemy and all of the dangers that lurk in a fallen and broken world. Christ shouldered all of this for us. It's not just a couple of moments of temptation. It's 40 days where Christ is in our place, defeating our enemy on our behalf. And we see in the text here, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. It's not a detour, guys. It is the plan of God. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. God honors the obedience of the Son. And here what I'm about to say. God will honor your obedience. As you walk in this fallen world, as you struggle through the ebbs and flows of hard life, as you obey, as you say no to the tempter, you will be ministered unto. Now as I close here this morning, uh, it's not going to be an hour and a half. Now, I don't know if you thought of this as I walked through this passage or if you got the full importance of what's going on here. But I want to say this. At this moment of Christ in the wilderness, all the hopes of humanity are resting on Christ's shoulders. Because if Christ gives in, if He yields to temptation, even for a moment, if He yields in thought, if He yields in desire, in word, or in action for just one second of those 40 days, our hope of redemption is over. Because then He cannot go to the cross as the perfect Lamb of God. If Jesus gave in, there's no acceptable sacrifice. There's no such thing as redemption and forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're seated here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, everything I preached this morning was substitutionary for you as well as the cross some 2,000 years ago. He stood in our place dying for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God the Father once again. But if He had given in, all that forgiveness, all that redemption is gone. There is no defeat of sin in your life. There is no power over sin. There is no hope of eternity. The whole thing comes crashing down. So how are you doing with temptation? Do you act this morning like you have no power? Do you give in to things that you should see coming? Do you give yourself the arguments that make your sin not look as sinful well this is just what i do and this is just what i like and these are these are my passions i have to do this i've been gifted in this area so i'm going to neglect god for this how do we spin it how do we call idolatry good how are we doing how do we candy coat it do you live naively? Do you live proudly falling into believing that you are not susceptible in ways that you actually are? This passage is for you. This passage is for me. Because the Redeemer has come. And He's faced it for you.
he's been tempted to cheat on his taxes. Although they didn't, but whatever the, the, the way it would have been back then. He was tempted at all points, all points, like as we are. Tempted to lust in the wrong way, tempted to think the wrong thing, tempted to lash out. All of the things, let's be honest, all the things that I have to say, I hope you don't want me to be the hero. Jesus is your hero. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. In him there's forgiveness. Praise God for that. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But also in him there is even more. There is a power now to say no. Are you availing yourself of that power? Are you living in that power? Are you living in the grace of the second Adam? I'm so thankful for the forgiveness of sins and what Christ does. But you know what I'm also thankful? I'm thankful for the full gospel that also will help me to not sin. And my prayer is that you and I would take this temptation that Jesus went through for 40 days and we would understand that in moments when we're mistreated, in moments when we have the lure of evil, and it's so strong in us. And moments when our eyes see things that then lead our hearts and our minds to want something. In moments when your thoughts begin to run wild. In moments of jealousy. In moments of anger. In moments of doubt. In moments of lust. You will rise and you will say, My Messiah defeated the enemy on my behalf. And in that strength, and in that power, in that substitutionary temptation for me, I now have the power to say, no. I now have the power to walk into this week and live a holy life. I don't have to give in to every single thing. But instead I can say no. Instead I can say, man, in Jesus. Not in your own power, but in His. No to the tempter. No to Satan. Jesus bore the full force of sin and temptation of a fallen world so that you could live victoriously. May we celebrate that this morning. Let's pray.